Thank you, Hayes, Bethany, and team. Man, can we give uh, Hayes just, uh, just and Bethany just a round of applause for the new music he's bringing to us? I mean, come on. That's exciting you know, to have worship leaders who are pouring into us and helping us and providing us with resources like that. So please, man, check that out as you continue your worship throughout the week. Uh, I've been asking for this for months. I'm super excited. Thank you, buddy, uh, that we get to have that. Uh, but hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 25. Uh, and look, Hayes did mention this, but we are entering into a season of prayer. And I hope that last week, as you were here, hopefully you heard all about that. And you, over the course of this week, you've been praying and really looking at different ways that Maybe you need to enhance your prayer life, different ways that the Lord wants to press in a little bit deeper. And we gave you seven different ways of doing that, and we'll continue showing these uh, over the course of the year. Uh, but hey, you know, find one of those, pray about them, hey, grab a couple friends in a community group or people that you know and just say, and say, hey, I want to delve deeper into our walk with Christ. Let's do this together. But lots of different ways to do that. We're going to have resources that we provide you with over the course of the year to help you in all of these. But if you've got questions, ask us. But we together are entering into this season of prayer and asking the Lord to guide us. And so please jump in with us, uh, whether you're, you're here, if you're online, man, we want you to jump in in the midst of this season of prayer. Uh, but this morning, I want to go back to a familiar passage uh, for a very specific reason. There are certain passages over the course of my pastorate uh, I find myself kind of gravitating back to uh, time and time again. And this is one of those passages here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse uh, 25. Um, but I want to tell you the reason why we're delving back in today. Um, as a pastor, I get the privilege of getting to interact with you guys a lot. Uh, and, and over the course of the days, weeks, months, and years, I get to hear your stories. I get to hear your struggles. I get to hear your successes. And at any given point in time, there's just a lot going on in the congregation. Everything is all over the map. We've got people doing really great. We've got people struggling. And typically... Uh, the problems are really all over the map. Uh, we see everything kind of uh, in all stripes, all different sizes, just a, a lot of different things that invariably, just like life, we all kind of go through. But every now and then we begin to see things uh, that are all moving in the midst of the same direction. And I've been noticing this over the course of the past month and specifically in the past couple weeks as I've talked to a bunch of you about the different things that you've been struggling with. There's been a common theme of anxiety. Uh, and, and this is not something that's just true for one person or one type of person. The thing that's been striking is that it's really cut across all generations. It's cut across uh, all uh, demographics, it, it's, you know, between both genders. It, it really doesn't matter who you are. This, something, this is something that seems to be affecting all of us uniquely in this season that we find ourselves in. And the more I thought about it, it really does make a lot of sense. Because truth be told, we've all been through a lot these past couple years, have we not? Regardless of your particular situation, just as a culture, we have been through a lot. And even this week, as COVID is kind of running through, and we all know a ton of people who are at home sick or quarantining with this, we're watching yet another wave walk through, and we're dealing with all the repercussions of what that means for schools and jobs and, and everything else, and, and all the things that we're walking through. It may not be devastating. It may not be a, a life-ending event, and yet it's yet another stressor. On top of the stressor from the week before, on top of the stressor from the week before that, on top of the stressor from the week before that, and before that, and before that, and those things stack up, don't they? 
And sooner or later, we all find ourselves, even if you have not gone through a massive, significant trauma, we've been through enough all together that we all just feel kind of fragile. And I see that not in a few of us. I see that really in all of us. I even see that in myself. I think this is somewhere we are all dealing with. And so this morning, I really want to delve into what the Lord might have to say to us when you and I are dealing with anxiety. What do we do when anxiety rears its head? How are we supposed to deal with this? And when it's not just me, but even the people I lean on, they also seem to be dealing with anxiety. What am I supposed to do when everyone finds themselves in this particular place? And so look where we find ourselves here in Matthew 6. We're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you get a red-letter Bible, you are living in the Red Sea there. It's just a sea of, of the words of Jesus. Jesus has amassed a large crowd of everybody. This wasn't just his disciples. It wasn't just the religious leaders. This was a large crowd where everybody is represented. And I'm sure he said more than what we have recorded here in the Sermon on the Mount. But, but we've got kind of the cliff notes here of all the things that he said. And listen to what he says to people just like us. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that in the midst of the trials that we find ourselves in, no matter what they are, and although those trials really cover the gamut by the people in this room and listening even now, Lord, we are so grateful that you are with us in all of them. But Lord, we feel this. And so would you meet us? Would you help us? Would you heal us? Would you nourish us? Would you bind us together? Would you draw us closer to yourself? Lord, you told us that in this world we would have trouble, but you have provided richly and your love for us, all that we need. And so, Father, I pray that for all of us here, you would meet us exactly where we are and draw us closer to yourself. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so it seems very clear that Jesus has an answer for us when it comes to our anxiety. It's fairly simple. It's this. Don't be anxious. We'll see you next week. I mean, that's it. That's what he says, right? Which honestly seems like very unhelpful advice. Has somebody ever said that to you? Like, it's like you're, you're, I'm, I'm dealing with this. And they just say, just don't worry about it. You ever had anybody say that to you? Have you ever said that to anybody else? Stop it. 
okay? Because no one enjoys it. They don't. This is unhelpful advice. Just don't worry about it. I mean, seriously, just don't worry about it. Well, I would not worry about it if I could just stop worrying about it. I wouldn't be telling you. If I could just stop worrying about it, it wouldn't be an issue. It's not something I can just stop doing, which is odd because this seems to be the advice that Jesus is giving. He says, no, don't be anxious. Is he really saying, hey, just don't worry about it? And I think the answer to that has to be no, because that is an impossible command. It is impossible for us to just not worry. You can't do it. You can try, but it's going to happen anyway. We are going to feel anxious. And that's not something you can actually stop yourself from doing. At different points in our life, we are all going to feel anxious. We're going to worry. We're going to be afraid. And yes, I know there's variations in all of those things. But we're going to feel those things. And we can't actually stop ourselves from doing it. And furthermore, we not only know that ourselves, we actually see that all throughout Scripture. We know that Jesus isn't telling us, hey, just don't worry about it. Don't feel those things because we know for a fact that he also has felt these things. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? On the night before his crucifixion, we find Jesus asking his friends, begging them to pray for him. And they keep falling asleep and he, he wakes them up, please pray for me. And then we see him hunched over and he is so anxious he says, my soul is troubled even unto death. He is sweating profusely, so much so it's coming down off his forehead like drops of blood. Okay, that's anxious. And yet this is the perfect son of God. The sinless son of God. But he clearly is feeling anxious. And that ought to be enough of an example, but we actually see this all throughout Scripture. Check this out. Um, here, uh, no, let's go to the first. Here's Psalm 56.3. David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. This is David the giant killer. This is David who leads armies into battle. This is brave David. But even David finds himself afraid. And he says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Here's the next one from Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Paul will say, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like anxiety, does it not? He says, Corinthians, when I came to you, he is coming preaching the gospel. And he is bold in preaching the gospel. But just in, his, in, in himself, he says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The gospel is strong, but Paul is admitting here that he's not always that strong. And then here's Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He doesn't say ignoring your anxieties or, or, or just suppressing your anxieties. No, he is acknowledging that we all have these anxieties. And he says the answer then is to cast them upon the Lord. Not to pretend that they're not there, not to vanquish them. But listen, when you have these anxieties, cast them upon the Lord. And so we have the examples from Jesus, from David, from Paul, and from Peter. And we can go farther. 
When you look down through the annals of Christian history and you begin to get into the biographies of, of people like Martin Luther and John Bunyan, uh, Charles Spurgeon, you will find that all of these men and more had wrestled with anxiety. At different points during their ministries, these are powerful uh, men uh, and women of faith who, who serve the church valiantly. And when you, you really get into their private lives, they will all admit, yes, there are seasons where I have dealt with anxiety. This is a common human experience. We are all going through seasons of anxiety. But still you might say, yeah, but Adam, that's what he said. In fact, he says it like three times in the passage. Don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. What does he mean if he doesn't actually mean just don't be anxious? I think what he's saying here is that, yes, you are going to experience anxiety. You are going to experience these feelings of anxiety, but you do not have to let them rule you. You don't have to get it, give in to them. You don't have to let these, these feelings of anxieties completely debilitate you. You see, you and I can't actually force ourselves to feel one way or another. Our feelings are going to do whatever they're going to do. We can't stop what our feelings are going to do, but we can decide what we're going to do with our feelings. You can't decide how you're going to feel. You're just going to feel things. There's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're human. God built us this way. We're going to experience these things. All of these people, they experience these things. But I do get to decide how I react to those feelings. I do get to decide what I'm going to do with those feelings. And so here, Jesus is acknowledging their anxieties. He's recognizing them. And he says, but there's a proper way of responding. And I want to show you what that is. And specifically, he says it right there at the end. Look at verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the antidote he's going to give to our anxiety. He says, we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And so this morning, for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves or, or what you're wrestling with or what we're worried about or what we're fearful of, I just want to recommend two main things that I think can, can help us in this, in dealing with our anxieties. The first is this. If we're ever actually going to deal with our anxiety, we need to see the monster. You need to see the monster. Uh, I don't know if you're a horror movie fan. Uh, I am not. Uh, this is not my favorite type of movie. Some of you might be, all right, if that's your thing. I don't understand, but that's okay. That's like fine if that's your deal, but I've seen some horror movies in my day, um, and it's interesting, the movies that seem to be the scariest. Uh, the movies to me that seem to be the scariest are not the ones that show you the monster the whole film. Have you noticed this? It's the ones that don't show you the monster until right at the very end. Those tend to be the scariest movies of all. Now, why is that? Why is it that, that they're not showing me the monster? I'm just hearing it over here. Or I just see where it's been. Or I'm just, I hear rumors of what's going on. Why is it that not seeing the monster is scarier than actually seeing the monster? Because when I don't see the monster, I don't know where it is. Which means you know where it is? Everywhere. It's everywhere. It's here. It's there. It's everywhere. Everything you hear could be the monster. Everywhere you go, he might be there. Wherever you're going, he might be lurking. It doesn't matter. If you can't see the monster, he's everywhere. He could strike at any moment. He could get you at any point. 
And all of a sudden, you just live in this constant fear. If you can't see where the monster is, you don't know. And you live in constant fear. The monster seems so much bigger, so much more powerful. It seems almost omnipotent in what it can do because I have no idea where it is, where it's going to strike. And that's actually a lot scarier than actually seeing this monster. The monster might be scary, but if I can't see it, it actually gets scarier. And the same thing is true of our anxiety. When it comes to the things we worry about, we need to name the monster. What is it that we're actually worried about? Because for some of us, we just find ourselves, we're worried. I said about what? Everything! We're worried about everything. We're worried about every possible thing that could go wrong. We're worried about everything in our life, every single place that we go, everything that we do. We're worried about every single possible way it might go wrong. And if you can't actually name the monster, if you can't see the monster, it's going to overwhelm you. If you're not talking about something concrete, if you can't name what is this thing that I'm worried about, what is it that I'm actually worried about, well, then, yeah, that's, that's going to overwhelm us. How, how do we live in constant fear 24-7? This is one of the ways that anxiety is going to overwhelm us. And so if we're going to move forward, we need to actually narrow down what it is that we're talking about. Because if you don't know what it is, we'll, we'll come up with bad coping strategies. We will. Um, listen, I've actually said this before. I didn't clear this with Allison before I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, but uh, I, know I have to do that. That's a rule in our house that I do this, but I've said this before. Sometimes uh, if we're watching a, a show and something scary comes up, Allison has a, a, a technique. I, I think it's kind of ingenious where she doesn't want to see or hear what's going on. So she will plug her ears and cover her eyes. Just like that. It's, very, it's like her own little sensory deprivation chamber right there, right? And then she's yelling at me, is it over? And then I have to tell her it's over, right? And, so, and then it's done. It actually works. It's very cool, right? For some of us, when it comes to our anxiety, that's what we do, right? We just say, we just say, I just, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I, and we just try to ignore it. You say, Adam, I would never just close my eyes to life and the things that are going on. But we actually do that all the time. We're just going to look at something else. We're going to throw ourselves into distraction. For some of us, we find ourselves addicted to Netflix. We're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to these things. Why? Because we have to get our mind off of this thing, and we just throw ourselves into constant distraction. We have to watch the television. We have to watch these things. We, we, we have to throw ourselves into in, in the, the next distraction, the next movie, the next show, the next video, the next game, the whatever it is. But I have to keep my mind distracted. Uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm going to come back to this thing and it's going to overwhelm me again. And, and we find ourselves just distracting ourselves away as if it's going to change things, but it doesn't. You can stop looking at the monster. It doesn't actually deal with it. You can ignore the monster, but it's not going to change the fact that there's something there to deal with. When it comes to your anxiety, are we just trying to ignore it? Or are we actually dealing with it? Jesus names what's going on here. He says, why are you running around saying, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? And what are you going to wear? He gets specific here. But you can't do that unless you're actually willing to look at it. Others, we don't go to distraction. Uh, we try to medicate ourselves. And when the pain of, uh, of the anxiety becomes too much, we just, just start to medicate ourselves. We just say, hey, I gotta, I gotta feel better. Uh, I gotta feel something different than all these things. And you turn to alcohol, or drugs, or pornography, or overspending. Or you might just give in to laziness and say, I'm just gonna sleep it through. I'm gonna pretend it's not here. And if I just throw myself into these things enough, it will make me feel better. 
We say, Adam, I'm dealing with the monster. That makes me feel bad. This makes me feel good, at least for a time. And so I'm going to throw myself into these things. And if I just have more of these things, that's going to keep the monster at bay. It will keep the anxiety at bay. It will change my feelings. And so I'm going to throw myself in here, not realizing that the more we throw ourselves into sin, when we overindulge in these things, when we do things that God tells us not to do, don't you understand there's consequences here too. And you feel better for the moment and you buy a couple new monsters to add to the pen. And all of a sudden, these begin to ravage us as well. Hey guys, what's your coping mechanism? Can I tell you one of my great fears, not just for our church, but our entire culture, is that for the past two years when we were all dealing with stress, we found ways to cope. And for the past two years, we've been coping, and now is the time when those consequences are coming due. When the coping mechanisms are starting to fail us, when the consequences are starting to pile up, and we're recognizing that that thing that we were doing to hold ourselves together while the world was on fire and doing whatever, hey, now my new coping mechanism is turning out to be a problem too. And now with this problem and that problem, we get overwhelmed. Are you seeing that in your friends? Are you seeing that in neighbors? Are you seeing that in yourself? Hey, guys, these, these coping mechanisms don't actually work. Which you might say, yeah, but Adam, I'm dealing with a real monster here. I'm not making this up. I'm not crazy. Adam, this is not a horror movie of some fictional monster. I'm talking about something real. Adam, it's not just COVID. That's, that's scary enough. I'm, I'm talking about it's a, it's a real diagnosis. I got a problem here. I got a, a real problem in my marriage. I got, a, I got a real problem at work with my job. I got, a, I got a real issue going on here. Adam, I'm not making this up. It's a real monster. I agree with you. There are real things to be worried about. It's not been easy these past two years. We don't need to paste a smile on everything and pretend it's all fine when it hasn't been. You're right. These are real issues, but you and I can't deal with them until we actually look at it, until we actually see it. Here, these people say, Jesus, we need food, drink, and clothing. Do you know what Jesus says in response? You're right. He didn't say, man, you guys asked for too much. Guys, you're asking after the, the wrong things. He says, no, 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 you've got a real issue here. Why do you run around saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are you going to wear? Your heavenly father sees this, and he knows that you need this. He knows this. He gets it. He understands. But you and I need to deal with the actual problem in front of us and not the multitude of problems of the things that could be happening. Because truth be told, all of the bad things aren't going to happen all at once. Bad things are happening, but all of the possible bad outcomes aren't going to happen all at once. Let's deal with what's in front of us. They say, well, how do we do that? Well, here's the second thing. First off, we see the monster. Second thing, we seek Jesus. Go back to that verse 33. Actually, let's start at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek, do you see that? They seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. What the Lord offers to us when we're dealing with anxiety, the way he's going to help us when he says don't be anxious is this. You need to see the problem you have, but then I want you to seek the Savior. I want you to seek Jesus Christ. Seek the Father. 
He can provide for you richly. He can take care of you. He loves you. And the more we seek after him and his kingdom and his righteousness, it provides us with what we need to endure and, yes, even overcome the anxieties in our lives. And so the question for us is when we deal with anxiety, when these things threaten to overwhelm us, where do we turn? Do we turn to our coping mechanisms or do we turn relentlessly systemically back to the Lord. And I think there's four things we can turn back to here. First off, uh, we can seek Jesus. Why? Because we can trust his presence. He brings real help. Do you know why? Because he's here. This is Jesus, the Son of God, speaking the Sermon on the Mount to people truly in need. That's a miracle in and of itself. Jesus Christ, who has laid aside his entire glory and has now come and in the flesh, eye to eye, speaking to them, saying, don't you understand? I'm here. I'm the Emmanuel. That's not just for Christmas. It's for all time. He says, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. And when you and I recognize that God is not eons away, he's not far away, he's here, it helps us. Look at this. The disciples find this out. Uh, They're in the midst of a storm. It's been a rough day. Matthew 14, 25 through 27. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. This is Jesus. Walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. I love this scenario. Read the entire context. These guys are, are, are just empty. They're they're dealing with grief from the loss of somebody they love. They've been overworked, doing more work than they thought they were going to have to do that day. They're physically drained because they've been rowing across a lake. And at the end of it, they're getting attacked by ghosts. I mean, seriously, that's a rough day. And at the end, they're done. They're just crying out in fear. And what does Jesus say? You can take heart. Why? Because I'm here. Because I'm with you. He doesn't shout from the shore and say, you guys are going to be fine. He comes into the boat with them and says, but I'm here with you. It's going to be okay. It's his presence that helps us. Look at this next one. Here's Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We looked at this a few months ago in the Shepherd's Psalm, Psalm 23. He says, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Not if, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Not a great place, surely an anxious place. When I go through that place, I don't have to fear. Why? Because you're with me. Your presence comforts me. Look at this next one. This is Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. I cannot tell you how many times I say this during the week. This is one of those verses that got stuck in me early on in my walk with Christ. And I I mean literally, I'm in the thousands of the number of times that has rolled through my brain. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though (laughs) the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. I memorized it in a different version. He's talking cataclysm here. He's talking end of the world kind of trouble. But God is a present help in the midst of it. How do you find help for anxiety? You've got to recognize the presence of Jesus Christ. He's still the Emmanuel. He's still with us. Do we trust and believe that he's with us? 
To which we reply, yeah, but I don't feel like he's with me. Because that's what happens in our anxiety, isn't it? Adam, I know that. I remember that. You don't have to tell me that. But I don't feel that. It doesn't feel like he's with me. I'm not like those disciples who can see him getting into the boat. Adam, I just see the world kind of falling apart. And I find myself in the middle of the night, mind racing, heart racing. And it doesn't feel like he's with me. And that is true. You feel like you're alone, but you're not. And that's the trick. Our feelings don't always tell us reality. Simply because we feel alone doesn't mean we are. We're not. You never will be because the Lord has put the Holy Spirit inside of us. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You will never be alone ever regardless of what your feelings say. Look, I think parents can relate to this. Uh, we have a three, almost four-year-old, and I think most parents have dealt with this uh, when your kids are young. Uh, but every now and then, Rose will get scared because uh, she has a bad dream, and she comes running in the room uh, because she's scared, right? This happened last night. It's probably happened to you. Um, but look, we have a safe home. It's wonderful. And so we take her, and we put her back to bed, and we, we calm her heart. But when we put her back into bed, I'm sure she probably still feels a little scared. She's a little girl who's alone in her room with whatever her mind can concoct. And I'm sure she feels like she's alone. But here's the trick. She's not. And I know that because we're watching her. Because from the day she was born, we are the creepy parents who got that little monitor thing and put it in her room. My daughter lives in a surveillance state. We watch her at all times. And if she even says anything, I can hear her. I got a little monitor. I carry around with me. And I can hear her. I can talk to her through it. I can see what's going on. She's never alone. But she might feel that way. How much more so does our Heavenly Father stay with us? He says, you're never alone. You're not. I know you may feel alone. You may look around and say, it doesn't look like you're here. It doesn't change the fact that he is. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is with us. Regardless of how we feel, you can trust his presence. When we feel alone, when we feel anxious, can we choose to trust and say, God, I know what my feelings say. And I don't even know if those feelings are going to change, but I choose to trust. I put my faith in the fact you're still with me. You can trust his presence. Here's the second thing. You can trust his power. You can trust his power. When Jesus shows up, he doesn't show up to give moral support. He is not simply a shoulder for us to cry on. He is not simply somebody who says, you're going to be fine, like a, like a coach or a cheerleader. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to help you. But I'm not simply the one who comes alongside to encourage. I am the omnipotent reigning God of the universe. And no one stands before me. When you and I fear the darkness, the Lord says, I've seen that darkness. I've already looked at it in the eye. I call it by name, and I have conquered it. Everything in this universe will bow its knee to me. There is absolutely nothing in this world, this creation, that can overcome me. I am omnipotent. I am all-powerful. I can do anything I want. When you and I call out to our God, we are not simply calling out for somebody to hold our hand in the night. We are calling out to a God who still storms, raises the dead, and heals people, that's our God. 
is that the God you cry out to? When we're calling out for our Savior, do we remember who he is? And you say, yeah, but Adam, then why doesn't he just fix everything? He is fixing it, just not in the timetable we want. Adam, why doesn't he stop these things? These things are, are hard. I can't give you answers to all of that. But don't for a minute believe the lie of the enemy that these things are more powerful than your Savior. That this illness is more important or more powerful than your Heavenly Father who loves you. That this situation or circumstance or, or drama or whatever it might be could be so damaging as to steal you away or overcome the work of Almighty God. There is not a person in this universe who can snatch you out of His hand. He's all-powerful. And so you can trust that power. You can trust His presence. You can trust His power. Here's the third thing. You can trust His wisdom. You can trust His wisdom. See, I think that's probably one of the things that twitches us out is those questions. I was like, okay, fine, Adam, I get it. He's here. I, I, I believe that. But, but why doesn't he tell me what's going on? Why doesn't he tell me what he's going to do? Why doesn't he tell me how this is going to work out? Maybe you go even farther down to the back. Like, Look, I can handle problems. I can handle uh, you know, difficulties. I can handle tribulation. But if he could just tell me the things that are going to happen beforehand, I could prepare myself and then I could be ready. If he would just tell me, I'd be fine. Really? Are you sure about that? Let's walk that out for just a second. Can you imagine what it would be like if the Lord handed you a book once you got saved and said, hey, you're saved. You've got another, I don't know, 65 years. Uh, and here's all the bad stuff that's going to happen to you between now and then. You're saved. going to be fine. Here's every bad thing that's going to happen to you between now and then. And you actually read that book. Can you imagine what you do if you read that book? You'd never come out of your hole, ever. None of us would. That would be terrifying if you and I knew all of the things over the course of our life that would befall us. But the Lord has his reasons. The Lord is doing things that we don't fully understand. He's working in ways that he can't fully explain to us even now. And so the real question is this, do you trust his wisdom? Do you trust that he knows better? Do you trust that he actually has a plan? That even in the midst of your chaos, when I seek after him, he is working things for my good and his glory. And therefore, I can trust him. Even if you don't get the answers, even if you don't fully understand it, can I still choose to trust that he is wise, he is omniscient, he knows all things. And so instead of demanding that I understand it all, I will trust that he understands it all. And for some of us, that's just a bridge too far. We say, nope, Adam sounds great, but I will not, my heart will not rest until I can see the whole path. My heart will not rest until I can see everything that's going to happen. Until I know all that's going to happen and how it's going to work out, my heart will not rest. But I don't know if that's totally true. Because there's all kinds of places in our lives that you and I live, walk, and work things out without actually knowing everything ahead of time. I actually saw this last night. Uh, all this weekend, I've been preaching over in Talladega uh, for another church with uh, Corey Elliott, uh, who used to be our youth minister here. Uh, I've been helping him. I've actually got to go back over there tonight uh, to finish up the retreat. It's been awesome. But late last night, I was driving back over from Talladega. Uh, and most of you have been on that road on 20, uh, coming over here. So here it is. I'm in my car. I'm running 70 miles an hour, or maybe a couple over. All right, so, and I'm getting back. Um, and it's raining, 
and here's the thing. I've, I've got my cruise control on, and I, I'm going home. Now, here's the weird part about that. It's, it's at night, and I'm on the interstate. So I am in a small metal box hurtling down the road at 70 miles an hour, surrounded by other metal boxes hurling themselves at 70 miles an hour. And right over here, there's other metal boxes hurling themselves towards me at 70 miles an hour or a couple over. And they're doing this thing, and all I have to tell me what's coming up ahead of me are my headlights. Now, my headlights will throw light, and yours too. Your headlights throw out light about 150 to 200 feet in front of you. That's the max range for headlights, 200 feet. At 70 miles an hour, you will cross that distance in two seconds. Two. Which means this. At any given point in time, while you and I are screaming down the interstate at 70 miles an hour, we have two seconds heads up before the, whatever it is is going to hit us. Two seconds. Two seconds. We're flying around at 70 miles an hour. It was wet last night. Dark. With all these things going on, I get two-second warning. At any time, you and I are driving on the interstate at night, we ought to be gripping onto the steering wheel going, ah, 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 ah. But thankfully, that's not how you drive. You're eating a snack, calling people, turning the radio on. I want a new podcast. We're just rocking down the road like nothing's wrong. Screaming down at 70 miles an hour with two seconds of heads up. And we're okay with that. Why? Two reasons. Because every two seconds you go, you get two seconds more. The headlights keep going. And you're willing to follow. Because if for every two seconds you pass, you get two seconds more heads up. You get to little, know a little bit more. And here's the other thing. You trust the road. You trust that this is a good highway. It's safe. It's an interstate. And so you, you trust the road. You can't see it. But you've made an assumption. The road is safe. This is a good road. And so I can go at 70 miles an hour with just two seconds of heads up, and I'll be fine. To which the Lord says, then why can't you trust me? Because guess what? I'll give you a little bit of heads up. Not a lot. He almost ne never tells us everything that's about to come along the pike. He doesn't have to. But he has said this, but it's a good road. I've prepared the path in front of you. I know exactly where you're going. I know exactly where I want to take you. Can you just trust me? Even when you don't understand even when it's different from what you planned, can you choose to trust me? Because I'm good. And that leads us to the final thing. You can trust his love. And look, this is the most crucial. Because if you and I don't trust that God loves us, we won't actually get to the other three. For some of us, we say, Adam, I just have a hard time trusting his, his presence or his, or his wisdom or his, or his power. And it's because of this last one. Because I don't know if he actually loves me. And Adam, he might be wise, and he might be powerful, and he might be present, but here's what I don't know. Does that God, who has all that power and wisdom and who is running around right now, does he care about me? To which the Lord replies, he goes, I feed birds, billions of them every day. Are you not much more valuable to me than they are? I clothe wings with glory. They're here for a day and gone are you not much more valuable than weeds? And don't I call you son or daughter? 
and say, I love you. You're my precious child. I care for you. The heavenly father calls himself that for a reason because that's who he is. He loves you. He cherishes you. Bethany said it earlier. If we don't have good, good, give good gifts to our children, how much more is the heavenly father going to give good gifts to us? We have to trust that he loves us. Go back to what we said earlier. This is back in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see that at the end? He cares for you. He doesn't just say, cast your anxieties and see what happens. Cast your anxieties and hope for the best. He says, no, you can cast your anxieties upon the Lord. This is helpful. Why? Because he actually cares for you. He loves us. He cares for us. And then, I saw this this week too. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 32 through 30, and then verse 35. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'll be honest, my whole life, when I read this verse, what I've read is, is that none of these things can happen to me and it will take me away from the Lord. That's how I've read it. But the Lord showed me something more this week when you began to read through that list and recognized almost every single one of these things were the things that Christ had to face to come save me. He would face tribulation. He certainly faced distress, persecution. I don't know about famine. I know he had some times of hunger, nakedness on the cross, danger, surely, and sword as his side is pierced at the end of his life. Before Jesus ever comes to this planet, he says, I'm going to go and save my people. And the Father says, you're going to have to face persecution to do that. And Jesus says, for them, absolutely. And the Father says, you're going to have to face danger to do that. Don't care. I love them too much. You're going to face the sword. They're going to kill you. I will still go. Because I love my people. When all of those things stood in front of Jesus Christ, he goes through and endures all of them for one reason. Because he loves us. Because he loves you. You are his beloved child. If the God of the heavens will not be overcome by famine, distress, persecution, tribulation, danger or the sword do you not think that he can overcome whatever it is we fear whatever it is we're anxious of whatever it is we're worried about do you not think that he will overcome all of these things because of his immense and incredible overwhelming love for us if i can put my trust in his love his wisdom his presence his power, then when these feelings come, and they will, when these feelings arise, and they may not go away, when these feelings occur in us, we have a choice to make, just to let these things rule over us, or even in the midst of that emotional chaos, to turn and say, but I still choose to put my trust in the Lord. 
even if the feelings are still there, even if this is still a trial for me to endure, I choose today to still believe that my God loves me, that he is here, that he has a plan because he's wise, he is powerful, and so he's going to overcome these things. And so even in the midst of this emotional chaos, I choose yet again to put my trust in the Lord and see if this does not help us navigate these times and to navigate our own souls because regardless of how we feel these things are true and they will never change and you can bank on it so do this for me bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment as the worship team comes to lead us uh, look I, I know some of your stories but but not nearly all I know a lot of your stories, but I, I don't know some of them today and what you're dealing with. I just know that you're not alone. It's not just you. It's everybody. Everyone is struggling. Everyone is feeling that fragility. You might put a brave face on so nobody sees it, but you're not alone. Regardless of what you're worried about, regardless of what torments you, the Lord is saying this. I know what you need, and I'm going to richly provide it for you. But seek me first. My kingdom, my righteousness, seek me first. And I will take care of you. I know you don't understand it yet. I know you don't see the path just yet. But I will never leave you or forsake you. So trust me. I wonder if this morning, this morning we just need to choose to trust him. You might be at home dealing with COVID and you're angry and frustrated and nervous. You can trust him. You might be dealing with something else. You can trust him. But that's a choice on our part. So before you feel it, make a choice in faith. It says, I choose to put my trust in the Lord. See what he will do. So Father, I just pray for my faith family here. My brothers, my sisters. For me, Lord, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Would you lead us in all the places we find ourselves anxious and overwhelmed? Would you not just comfort us, Lord, but would you give us the solid, secure hope that we have in you? Because while our circumstances may have changed, you never did. And your love is unwavering. It's as strong now as it ever will be. It's as strong as it's ever been. And so, Lord, could you help us as a people to put our faith and our hope in you. Lead us, help us, heal us. But even in this moment, Lord, we choose to worship you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. As we begin to join together in worship, I'm going to be here up at the front. If you want to come in the, to the altar and worship, if you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be glad to pray with you. But let's lift up praise to a God who is worthy of our worship. Let's do that right now. Stay with me if you will.